1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's all about the chips. On the one hand, well, we've got enough potato chips for PepsiCo to give you a bang-up quarter. On the other hand, well, we don't have enough microchips for anybody. Every single company that depends on semiconductors, meaning every company that manufactures something with any sort of complexity from cell phones to heavy machinery to personal computers, well, they don't have enough of these. And that's the most important dynamic today. A day where the Dow gained 240 points, the S&P climbed 0.68%, and the Nasdaq advanced 0.22%. A lot of chip companies there. Of course, we don't want to oversimplify the situation. I am, yes, indeed, taking a little poetic license here. But the fact is, this market has turned to chips. It's just the the wrong kind of chips. It's corn chips. It's potato chips. It's everything you might eat them with. It's ketchup. It's chocolate! It's beer, but no beer on the table. These. Can you imagine? They give you a carrot cake thing now? Wall Street's turned its back in technology hardware, in general, and anything that has chips in their supply chain. Yep, they taste awful! A shortage of microchips has wreaked havoc through a wide swath of the stock market. There's just not enough of these. And man, do we ever have a lot of these. Yep, it's all part of the same rotation. When the market flees from hardware tech it tends to go right back to the safety stocks, including PepsiCo, the parent of Frito-Lite. They're about <clears throat> as low-tech as it gets. I mean, I grow potatoes. We well, you need is some dirt, some old spuds with eyes, bury them, and come back four months later. Well, let's talk about the semiconductor shortage, the chip shortage that we really have to worry about right now. Okay, for years we've embraced companies that go digital, right? Anything that's simply mechanical is viewed as a loser when matched against a digital opponent. Cars, appliances, everything. But to go digital, you need these. Look at this. You need this. There's one that's from Intel. Remember them? There's a Samsung one. I mean, here's some really small ones, okay? Here's some better tasting ones. Um, you need a lot of these, right? Which is why we've now exhausted the supply. Pretty much every semiconductor plant on Earth is running at full capacity right now. And it's still not enough. They still taste bad. Not bad spoke too soon. You got all sorts of chips out there, from expensive proprietary ones with huge profit margins to plain old commodity chips, which normally aren't that lucrative. The commodity chip makers don't want to build new foundries because they're making a killing right now, and they know pricing will collapse once they add more capacity. Making matters worse, American companies have spent decades converting to just-in-time models. They keep the inventories as low as as low as possible in order to save money. But the moment the supply line gets gets cut while the whole business crisis will halt. In China, businesses have a lot less faith in the invisible hand of the free market. So they stockpile components. That's the just-in-case model. And double or even triple order. Not a lot of shortages in China. Have you noticed that? How bad is it? Okay, in the last 24 hours, we discovered that many companies have been laid to waste in this country by semiconductor shortage, with many more predicting that it's coming coming for them next. Every day, we seem to have a new casualty. Today, there were three. Ford Motor, which we had on the show last night. Caterpillar, which we'll be hearing from later tonight. And Apple, which reported an astonishing set of numbers yesterday. It just didn't matter. Apple gave us a quarter for the ages. When I saw it, I thought it was looking at future projects, uh, projections, not some registered numbers. Some of the divisions were electric, like Macs and iPads. But everything Apple makes, well, well, guess what? It's not chock full of these. It's chock full of these that the stock ultimately gave up the gains because management said they could take a three to four billion dollar hit from the semiconductor shortage. Some would argue that Apple deserved to go down because this is as good as it gets, it's peak. I think that's dead wrong. If we're really looking at the peak, how do you explain the extraordinary moves in Alphabet and Facebook? They wouldn't be running like this if business is peaking. No, the difference is that Alphabet and Facebook are internet companies. They don't have much exposure to the chip shortage. Instead, they have exposure to the booming advertising industry. Same goes for Amazon, which shot the lights out when it reported after the close tonight, and its stock is actually rallying. I told you endlessly that customers would stick with them even when the world started going back to normal. Again, Amazon's a retailer with big cloud infrastructure business and an advertising kicker. For the most part, they don't need no stinking semiconductors. How about the second victim, Caterpillar? One of the reasons why I love, love, love my Caterpillar backhoe, yes, I actually have one, is that the electronics make me feel like I actually know what I'm doing. It's a spectacular machine. It's loaded with tech, digitized to the max. We're going to drill down later with CEO Jim Upleby. But you need to know why the stock got crushed today. It wasn't because of the quarter, but because people are worried about rising raw material costs. steels, And then once again, these stupid semis. Then there's Ford's Last such Casualty. This one got hit by the chip shortage not once, but twice. The first time because Chinese automakers double-ordered so many chip break when their American competitors were worried about the pandemic and they thought it would obliterate sales and did the opposite. Then it got even worse when a terrible fire damaged a huge Japanese semiconductor foundry that's responsible for about a third of the chips that go into autos. The first fiasco was already baked into stock, but the second one, the fire? That was a body blow that knocked Ford's stock flat on the canvas. At the same time, we got a string of excellent quarters from the food group. Yeah, the food group. I mean, this allows me to set up my elaborate chip conceit. See, they were able to shine because everything digital is getting killed. And the drug stocks are also being crushed because they had some really ugly quarters. That's why the market took notice. PepsiCo actually reported during a flood of tech earnings, and initially nobody cared. But they cared today. Mondelis, Hershey, just delivered some terrific numbers, too. While we're at it, let's throw in Domino's Pizza, which exceeded expectations. saw it's Surge. More on that later when we speak to the CEO. Uh, now, I had the good fortune to be in part of, uh, of today's truly fun experience, CNBC's annual stock draft, where contestants pick the stocks that they think will have the run the most by the, by the time of next year's Super Bowl. If you stay tuned, you can hear my pick, which will no doubt shock you. But one thing's for certain. The semiconductor shortage won't last. The Super Bowl's in nine and a half months. By then, I think there'll be enough microchips to go around. There's just too much money on the line. That's why I'm betting that Apple, Caterpillar, and Ford are buys into any semiconductor weakness. You know, it's a little ironic. Last night, the President of the United States took aim at the wealthy the class that owns the most stocks by far. So you might have expected the market to roll over. I think there's no real connection, though. The super rich won't abandon the whole asset class just because they're faced with higher taxes. But they do reposition themselves. And if you're really worried about Biden's proposed tax hikes, that makes the potato chip stocks a lot more attractive because they tend to pay big dividends. And nobody's talking about a dividend tax hike. In practice, that would mean a huge tax break for people who own dividend stocks. Companies, like, oh, look at this. Maybe this is the compromise I've been looking for. Chips, ahoy. (laughs) Chips, ahoy. Ah! The bottom line, even, even with today's rotation, it's a mistake to sell microchip stocks for the potato chip kind or even the chip chips ahoy kind. Give it six to nine months, and the company com- well, you can leave these six to nine months, they're gonna taste exactly the same. And it can by semiconductors, we'll come worry about. But I think today was a powerful lesson. You need a diversified portfolio with both smoke stacks that use semiconductor stocks and defensive food stocks with big dividends stocked with chips of the edible kind. Bob in New York, Bob. Hello, Jim, and uh, first let me
2: just say how much we miss Mark Haynes. i uh, wanted to say that for a long time, but we sure miss that guy.
1: Yeah, I love that he was a tough guy. I yes, loved how was. tough he was. Everyone hey, Jim, learned no the free passes. The pandemic.
2: Barry Sternlich was taken to the woodshed by numerous financial pundits. At the time, he stated his optimism as to how things would turn out, and he managed Starwood through a very difficult time. He was so confident in how things would turn out that he even started up a new company during this period. Given that Starwood has been a very solid dividend stock, now at almost all-time highs, should we continue to purchase as an income play, or is there solid growth to go along with the The answer
1: is you get both from Barry. Remember, Barry came on. I was questioning the dividend. Barry came on the distribution. Barry came on and told me not to worry about it and then went through why, and that was, what, what, about eight points ago? uh, It hit its high today. Barry's money. He's also a really good guy. James in Ohio, please. James. Hey,
3: Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, Blind James from Cleveland here. I bought in six months ago on your recommendation to CrowdStrike at about 170. Went up to 220, back down to 170. Now it's sitting at 211. But this thing trades at two to 300 times earnings, Jim, and it scares me. What do I well,
1: do? Well, if it scares thing? you, then you've got to take some profits. That's just what you do. We wouldn't be in stocks, and if they came down, you'd buy more. But if you're scared, it sounds like you won't. My instinct is to say, sell it. I like George Kurtz. I think it's really good, but I'm certainly not going to have anyone be worried about a stock. There's a lot of other things to be worried about, and that is it. Okay, now look. It is an absolute mistake to sell the microchip stocks for the potato chip stocks. The companies that depend on the semiconductors, they will come roaring back with a vengeance, even though I like these. I have to tell you, I recommend you use today's rotation as a lesson to stay diversified. It's a tie. I made money tonight. This morning, Cattlefield reported a stunning quarter, but the stock tumbled after its report. Is it a chance to get into the stock? I don't know. I'm mean, I'm talking with a full mouth. I'm letting Pat kind of out of the bag with the CEO. Then with dining restrictions easing across the U.S., wondering what's ahead for Domino's. I'll find out if it's time to take a bite when I sit down with the CEO. And could Align, Align Technologies' latest earnings report put a smile on your face? I've got the exclusive, fresh off the report. So stay with Kramer.
5: Engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This market has what I call industrial ennui. Every day it feels like another iconic smokestack stock reports phenomenal results. All I've heard is to get hammered because investors are terrified is this as good as it gets? Today's victim is Caterpillar. This morning Cat reported a stunning 93 cent earnings beat off of a $1.94 basis, better than expected sales up 12% year over year. Yet the stock sold off because management, well, let's say they talked down a little bit the next quarter. They're being conservative. They warned of rising input costs, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Seasonally weaker sales growth, dealers building up inventory going into the big selling season. Still, it probably would have gotten hit regardless because too many investors are convinced that this is the peak, the last great quarter. I think they're dead wrong, though, because this is a new Caterpillar, one that can make big money in fast and slower economies. So let's take a closer look with Jim Uplebee. He's the chairman and CEO of Caterpillar. He had a better read on the quarter and what's next. Mr. Uplebee, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Jim, it's great to see you. It's great to be back.
1: All right. So, Jim, you told me a few years ago when you took over, this is not going to be the same way as it used to be. You did it aristocrat always, but now you're going to make it so that you're going to buy back stock when it's low and you're going to develop a many different streams so that it will not all hinge on world economy. You did every bit of that, and I want to congratulate you for what you've accomplished.
3: Th- thank you, Jim. Very proud of the global team. They've done a great job executing our strategy and, as you say, turned in a very solid first quarter under challenging conditions with the pandemic.
1: Now, I think a lot of people seem to be convinced still that unless China's strong, you don't make big money. Now, China was good for you, but your oil and gas numbers, your resource numbers were extraordinary.
3: Well, you know, we had margin expansion in the first quarter against all three of our primary segments, led by construction industries, but also had margin expansion in resource industries and energy and transportation as well. And certainly in the first quarter, our oil and gas business was relatively subdued but we still turned in very solid numbers.
1: Now, I've been uh, talking behind the scenes to uh, many of the different drilling companies and a lot of the oil companies that have big exposure in the Permian. At $65, Jim, they're gonna turn on the jets. What would that mean for Caterpillar if they start increasing spending?
3: Well, we have seen our customers uh, maintain capital discipline during this period, but certainly if in fact our sales go up because of the operating leverage we have there, that would improve our results, no question. But, you know, we're just not an oil and gas story. Of course, we are tied to other commodities as well. And at the moment, as you know, copper, iron, ore and gold are quite strong. So we're quite bullish about the prospects for our mining business as well.
1: Yeah, the mining numbers were extraordinary. And I know that everybody that's got any copper is trying to open the mine. That's going to go to you. Now, let's talk infrastructure for a second. I have always felt that if you wanted to have the only company that could really make money off infrastructure, you have to buy Caterpillar. Are you following those negotiations closely in Washington?
3: You know we are, and there seems to be bipartisan support for, uh, you know, certainly traditional infrastructure at least—roads, uh, bridges, ports, broadband—and and 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 those kinds of activities. So if in fact there were a uh, a bill to come out of Washington, you know, timing a bit. A bit timing is a bit uncertain, but it would be a positive for us, no question.
1: No, I happen to have the privilege of owning a Caterpillar backhoe, which is really an unbelievable great machine. And one of the reasons I know how to drive it is, frankly, because there's a lot of electronics in it. You've made it easy. You have made it so it's not something where I need to be 280 pounds and ripped. Okay, I can handle this thing. But at the same time, it's got a lot of semis in it. So obviously you have to be a little more circumspect about what's going to happen given the chip shortage.
3: Uh, it's very true. You know, we made a conscious decision a year ago and we shared this with our investors that we held a bit more inventory than we normally would within Caterpillar. Not so much in finished goods, but more in the in components to do a couple of things. One is to help mitigate the impact of any potential supply chain shortages and also just thinking about the pandemic. And that decision certainly served us very well in the first quarter. We thought it was appropriate, though, given the situation to tell our investors that there is a bit of a risk for the rest of the year around semiconductors and some other materials as well. But our team is working very hard to minimize or even avoid any production shortfalls that might impact our ability to fully meet uh, improving customer demand. And the good story is that customer demand demand is improving in the number of, of the industries that we serve. Well, I think one of the things that matters is when you're dealing
1: with rising raw costs like steel, can the brand sustain the raw costs? Uh, when we go to, when I, when I bought, when I got to Caterpillar, I did not think about buying the other companies. I didn't. Now, I know they have good products. I've been on a New Holland, that's a nice product. But I always figure, well, it's cat. You gotta buy cat. I feel that you can handle the raw costs and actually put through a small price increase, and no one is gonna blink.
3: Well, Jim, certainly we appreciate you being a customer. And I didn't realize that. We'll make sure we give you good support. I'll, <laughs> I'll give our dealer a call after, after, our, after, after mad money is over. But you know, one of the things to think about, people often get focused on uh, rising costs and, and their impact on Caterpillar. If in fact, commodities are rising, as I mentioned earlier, even though our input costs may go up a bit, it is certainly a net positive for Caterpillar. I mean, if oil, steel, uh, copper, iron ore, those commodities are rising. That's a very good thing typically for our business. That's a great point.
1: You are, Hedge. One of the things that you told me was that your free cash flow, if you got things right, if you street, if you slim things down and kept what's good and got rid of what's wrong, you'd be able to generate a huge amount of free cash flow even in the face of a what's almost a shutdown. Well, we almost got a shutdown. And yet the numbers were extraordinary. And there was never this time you did not say how's house the coverage on the dividend. You've taken it off the table.
3: Well, I appreciate it, Jim. One of the things that we really have worked on very hard over the last few years since we introduced our new strategy is that discipline around expense and capital. And although we do serve a number of industries that are cyclical, we've been able to produce relatively stable cash flows between 2017 and 2019. We produced between five and six billion dollars of free cash flow. And as you say, even last year during the pandemic, when our top line declined 22 percent, we still produced over three billion dollars of free cash flow. So, again, that's something we're very focused on. And I think that's something that investors are starting to appreciate is our ability to generate relatively consistent free cash flows through the cycle.
1: Well, it's also important to point out how much you care about your workers. I've always felt that this is the new caterpillar that uh, during the pandemic you handled yourselves quite well versus some of the other companies in your industry.
3: Well, we've been very focused on the safety of our employees and you know I, I so much appreciate the dedication of our team. We have employees that have come into our, our, our facilities every day during the pandemic to continue to support our customers and our dealers. And we've had, had customer, uh, employees working from home as well, But again, couldn't be more proud of our global team and the way they've supported society. Well,
1: well, another thing you should be proud of, I love the fact that you did a diversity and inclusion report. This is what we want to see from Caterpillar. This is why everyone feels that it's a good place to work rather than what the, the perception that they may have had from years
3: ago. Well, it's a never ending journey and we are proud of the progress we're making, but we have a ways to go. There's no question. But we thought it was important that we put out our first ever diversity and inclusion report to be transparent about the journey that we're on. And again, we're proud of the progress that we're making, but it is a journey and we have a ways to go. There's no question.
1: And then uh, lastly, around the globe, it's really pretty great areas that I did. You know, Latin America, I mean, you know, who would think? Uh, obviously China, yes, but the international aspects of your business are very, very strong.
3: They are, and certainly we're, we're in every major market around the world. We are a net exporter, so we uh, we export out of the US, but we also have a strong manufacturing presence in other places as well. And as you say, we are st- seeing improvement in almost every market around the world. So again, uh, quite a positive backdrop. There's some challenges out there, but the general backdrop is quite positive.
1: Well, see, there's the real market, and there's the real economy, and that's the real stock. Jim Mumbleby, you've done everything you said and far more. Chairman CEO of Caterpillar, great opportunity. The stock's knocked
3: down. Great to see you, sir. Great to see you, Jim. Okay. Thank you.
1: Guys, this is the real deal, okay? Uh, It is the stock that you can, well, I have my Caterpillar tractor that I showed you earlier. This is the kind of stock that you give to, maybe you give it to your kid because everybody plays with this, but when you grow up like me, you buy one and you should buy the stock too. Man Money's back after the break.
0: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
5: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business.
1: Something exciting and incredible happened today. A restaurant reported good numbers and actually got credit for it. Well, it's not really a restaurant. I'm talking about Domino's Pizza, which just delivered a solid bottom line beat with U.S. same-store sales up 13.4%. Wall Street was only looking for 97 That sent the stock surging $12, even though management held off from giving any forward guidance. Of course, Domino's is really a little different from the other restaurant stocks. It's a company that made a fortune when the whole world went into lockdown. They caught the COVID tailwind, admittedly, because they're so good at delivery. Then the stock did lose its mojo when they missed numbers in late February, but an opportunity. Domino's has rebounded over the last couple of months. It was still down substantially from its highs last fall. That's what created the real opportunity for today's terrific move. So, could this thing have more room to run? Let's dig deeper with a friend of the show, Rich Allison, the CEO of Domino's Pizza, get a clearer picture of the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Allison, welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Hi, Jim. Good to be with you.
1: I got to tell you, Rich, I spent a lot of time talking about the United States and you do too, and it's great. But you're from international. And I have to tell you, I thought the real standout and what I have not devoted, and I apologize for this, was how great international was this quarter.
6: Yeah, Jim, it was a terrific quarter in the international business. And, you know, the headline on it, you know, was the same store sales growth. But also we had a terrific uh, rebound in store openings at international as well, which, yeah, you know, a number of our markets were hit really hard by COVID last year, and it's just fantastic to see the growth momentum uh, rebounding over there. Well, we're talking about
1: in the United States, 6,355 stores, potential 8,000. But I tell you, I am, I'm looking at a France, 435, you say 1,000. Germany, 354, you say 1,000.
6: I mean, th- these are I- incredible opportunities for you. When we look, Jim, just at our 15 largest markets by store count in the international business, we see an opportunity for 5,000 or more incremental units just in those top 15 markets alone. Uh, and then you, you look broadly across the 90-plus markets we operate in, we see a very long-term runway for growth. At the same time,
1: when I look at the uh, for U.S., U.S. pizza delivery, really some interesting numbers. You've got uh, Domino's piece with 36 you, you, other major pizza chains altogether, only 27. But regional chains and independents, Rich, they don't have your technology. And a lot of them didn't have the balance sheet to get through here. And I know you, you have said over and over again, look, I don't want any small business to be wiped out. But the fact is, your technology and your uh, ecosystem have allowed you to do so well versus everybody else uh, going through the pandemic.
6: Jim, it has. And, you know, you've you've been uh, around us for a long time. You know, we've been investing for more than a decade in our technology. And you know, we entered the pandemic doing 70 plus percent of our sales in the U.S. through digital channels that jumped up to 75% plus and it's stayed there all along. And, you know, as we look forward, those are the kinds of uh, movements that happened during COVID that we don't believe are going back. Once customers shift to digital ordering, they don't go back to calling uh, restaurants on the phone. So we feel really well positioned uh, from a technology standpoint. And with the market still so very fragmented, there's a lot of share to be gained broadly across the market uh, as we see it. one of the
1: things that uh, really kind of struck me as being amazing was what, you, what is the pilot that you've gotten used? To? Is, you have genuine autonomous. Are you doing autonomous now?
6: So we are executing true autonomous deliveries uh, in Houston right now, as you and I are speaking, uh, Jim. To select customers, we're giving them the option uh, to have an autonomous uh, delivery experience using our uh, partner Neuro. Uh, And in fact, last night when I was prepping for the earnings call, I was also watching videos, these deliveries that were actually happening last night. So we're super excited about it. We are going to learn a ton about how these AVs interact with our customers and about how we weave them into the operational fabric of our stores. Right, well, let me understand
1: this, because you know I'm a big Domino's eater. And my, I have my daughter in Madrid. You have 300 in Spain. I have my daughter in Mexico. You have, one in, you have one in San Miguel. I mean, you're everywhere. But we all like the delivery. I mean, because they drop it there. You know, we paid. We don't have to put the tip. We don't have to tip
6: because we put it on the credit card. What do we do with autonomous? <laughs> well, you know, it, uh, Jim, it's, a, it's just a great uh, opportunity for us to try new things in, in pizza delivery, and it's a pretty exciting moment you know, for our customers who get an autonomous delivery. It's just not something that happens every day, and what we're trying to do is really test and learn and, and see how customers react to it. We're going to still be hiring delivery drivers uh, to deliver a lot of pizzas for Domino's, but we view the AVs along with e-bikes. You see some of those behind me and other methods of getting pizza to customers as all part of our system that we're going to employ into the future.
1: All right. Now, Richard, should I be worried about a leaflet that I saw from April 28th? Locally owned stores are looking to hire more than 4,000 part-time and full-time team members. This is in Florida alone. How are you going to get all, how will your franchisees get the help?
6: You know, Jim, it is a really tight labor market right now. And, you know, we are out there battling uh, to hire drivers just as we're battling to win customers, you know, each and every day. And, you know, I think a, a good bit of the draw at Domino's is the fact that our stores are so busy. And so our delivery drivers, you're gonna get more runs per hour. And as we continue to fortress our territories, as you and I've talked about in the past, shrinking those delivery zones, it allows us to increase the velocity of those deliveries and and have a great economic proposition for our uh, drivers. Not to mention the fact that, you know, you know, all of our franchisees basically come out of our ranks of drivers and pizza makers. So it's also a great long-term uh, pathway to entrepreneurship for those that want to pursue it. I, I also like what
1: you did in breaking down the master franchise partners. I've been dealing with some other companies that had some franchise partners that frankly were weak. And because they were weak, it brought down all the same store sales and therefore brought down their stocks. Your master franchise partners, you don't just wake up and own a store, right? I mean, you've got to do, you have to know what you're doing.
6: Absolutely. And, and Jim, you know, we've got uh, master franchise partners that are significant you know, publicly traded companies in and of themselves. And so that was a real asset to our brand as we went through COVID and all of the pressures last year. Our master franchisees had the balance sheets and the operational wherewithal to navigate through this because, as you know, while we were able to stay open and operating the entire time in the U.S., we had a number of international markets that had to work their way through some significant temporary store closures. And that would have been really tough to navigate without such a Fantastic set of partners like the ones that we have. How about India? What do you what do you, what, what's going on? So we've got a fantastic business in India, and it's one of the uh, Jubilant Food Works, one of the master franchise partners that are just uh, absolutely terrific in the Domino's system. You know, India is going through a really difficult time now as a society with the surge uh, in COVID. You know, thus far, our business. Uh, has continued to perform uh, pretty well over there. But, you know, our, our hearts really go out to the citizens of India who are dealing with a, a heck of a tough time right now.
1: And then uh, one last thing. Uh, what do you got for us in terms of, uh, of new dishes, uh, especially like the Mix & Match 599? You got some real values here. But what, what, what's coming up that we're going to be, uh, be excited to order?
6: Well, Jim, we're going to have some new uh, product news coming a little bit later in the year. I can't tell you about oh. it on the program tonight, but but I can tell you uh, that I've been in the test kitchen tasting it with our teams, and I'm pretty darn excited about it. So stay tuned, and we'll talk about it uh, on one of our future uh, chats together.
1: All right, we'll be ordering. It's still the favorite thing for me and my kid. We don't get together the way we used to because they're all over the place, but it's still our favorite thing to do, as you know. Rich Allison, CEO of Domino's, with a great quarter, Always great to see you. Thanks, Jim. Mad Money's back after the break.
4: Smile, you're on camera. Amid the explosive growth in video conferencing, many people are turning to cosmetic dentistry for a makeover. Kramer's brushing
1: up on the Zoom effect with the CEO of Align Technology, just ahead. Sometimes you just want to give up. I mean, this market's got impossibly high standards. That's my big takeaway so far from this earnings season. What a gauntlet. You want to know how tough it's gotten? Look at Align technology, the maker of Invisalign Clear Aligners. Last night, Align reported a remarkable quarter, 62%. That's right, 62% revenue growth, 241% earnings growth, much higher than analysts expected. Even better, management gave you a phenomenal full year forecast. Many people aren't even forecasting. So, what happens after opening up 5%, setting a new intraday high? Well, yeah, the stock rolled over, finishing the day down nine bucks. Please! Well, why did it happen? Well, you can try to find a reasonable explanation, but honestly, I think this was pure profit taking. In a stock that was up more than 400% from the bottom in March of last year. I'm betting it's got more room to run now that the great reopening is upon us because people want to look good again as they re enter society and they take off their masks. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Joe Hogan, He's the president and CEO of Align Technology, learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Hogan, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me back. Jim. All right, first, Joe, I want to congratulate you. Ten million patients—that's a lot of patients. Yes, that's, that's correct. Ten million patients. And you saluted one the 10 millionth. Yes, uh, we got a patient in Brazil.
2: Uh, it's terrific. Um, and, and, you know, a young patient, and it's good representation, Jim, of our global expansion and what we've been able to do, and uh, a terrific doctor down there, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's really fun. You know, it took us 10 years to get to 10
1: million patients, and, uh, and this year, you know, we'll do close to 2.5 million patients alone. That's incredible. Listen, Joe, one of the things that I've been thinking about, you have the ultimate hedge position. Uh, when you, during the pandemic, you have to be on Zoom. Well, I mean, I always think people are looking at my teeth every minute. I have to brush my teeth before I go on a long Zoom call. Then the pandemic ends, people take their mask off, and you see their teeth outside. So, I mean, it's win-win for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, we look at it, Jim, we think that uh, obviously COVID, there was some help in that sense of people seeking treatment at that point in time. But I think it's just verified the size of this marketplace, the aesthetic aspects, and just how digital orthodontics has really created a
1: revolution out there with people and wanting to change their smiles. Well, one of the things that I think is uh, really important for people to recognize is that this was something people thought were teens and then 20s. It's the adult market that really has the room here, doesn't it? Yes.
2: Well, when we talk about, uh, you know, in the classic orthodontics segment, Jim, there's 15 million patients worldwide and 80% of those are teens, but there's 500 million patients out there Uh, that we think you know want to change their smile and have the financial means to do that and uh and also when you think about it too jim 75 percent of the population of the world has a malinclusion so uh it's just an only digital community can be able to address that number of patients and do it in a flexible way be able to treat patients the way they want to be treated
1: Well, there are other companies that have always told me look out of line we've got something better uh I think they seem to think that you're either a small company that doesn't spend a lot of money on R&D or just you had a one time thing and they're all coming for you. But I was shocked at how much how much money you really do spend on the science of it. Oh, yes, Chip.
2: we spend uh, 250 million dollars a year in engineering and I.T. This is we're a tech company when you get down to it. Remember, we have millions of algorithms uh, that we use in order to, to move our teeth. We're the biggest three D printing manufacturing company in the world, making you know set, really three quarters of a million parts a day, truly unique parts. Uh, recently, we introduced a uh, virtual care product where we can monitor patients uh, offline to be able to use AI to figure out if their if their you know treatment is on track, and if not, they don't have to go back to the doctor's office. And if they do, they bring it back, so it makes it more efficient, more for patients too. So. So $250 million a year that we use for engineering. also have the best brand in orthodontics. We spend a quarter of a billion dollars a year advertising our product and sending those patients to the doctor's office.
1: Now, it's very important for the dentist to have a full portfolio. A lot of people feel... That they, that A lot of dentists, they go to dental school, they spend all that money, all that time, and now people take such good care of their teeth that a lot of times the, the, the usual things they would have to do, drilling, uh, if cavities, uh, have to be a, a supplanted or you have to augment your practice. It's a line that augments their practice, correct? That's correct.
2: Now, we have a series of programs we use with dentists to really help them into the digital age and learning how to move teeth this way. And, you know, many of my dentist friends, Jim, that I've developed since I've been in this role, they said five years ago they did it because they wanted to do it. They wanted to experiment with it. They have patients coming in today demanding it. They feel like that it needs to be part of their normal workflow today. It's been a big change over the last several years.
1: Yeah, oh, it's true. I mean, look, I my daughter has, is using Invisalign, and she said to me, you know, Jim, what's with your teeth? And I said, well, why? No, I'm older. He said, no, you should just go do it. And I had never thought about that, but I'm going to go to the dentist for the first time now that we have the great reopening. I've been, frankly, I've been afraid to go, and I'm going to ask for it. I guess that's not an uncommon thing for people. It's seniors to ask for it.
2: Hey, we have patients as, as old as 85 years old that ask for it, Jim. No kidding. Can give you those, and uh, we'd love for you to be a patient. You know, it'd be great to have you go through therapy and uh, have that experience. That's well, I, I think I have
1: to. I don't like, you know, people don't like how they. No one feels that they look great. Okay, so that looking like that. Now, one last thing. This morning I was watching Brian Sullivan. Uh, when He has a very early morning show, and it, something caught my eye. There's this, an outfit called Grin that's launching this orthodontist developed remote monitoring platform, but their partner is 3M. Is this something that you have to get in in order to be able to be sure that you, you're, you can uh, do it from home and, and uh, use your cell phone and, and have people look at your doctor, look at your teeth?
2: Yeah. You know, Jim, we're doing that too. We are, we know, Brent we've used that equipment before we have, we have our own under development. Also the whole idea is that it has to interface with an Android system and, a, and, a, and an iPhone and it allows you to be able to see your dentition extremely well. And so that's the key is, is we can, we can track patients and then use the more and more data that we get. We use, you know, you know, obviously AI in right. order to determine if that patient's on track or not. It's a, really can make it more, much more efficient for patients without having to go back to the office all the time. And, uh, and frankly, doctors having more of their time freed up to see more patients.
1: All right, that's good, because I I have to go back into the city from we are out here in Anglewood Cliffs. I thought this was a good idea for me to try it. Anyway, Joe, once again, amazing numbers. Long-term, this stock has been probably the best performer we've, we've had. And I want to thank you for coming on, Joe Hogan, President and CEO of Align Technology. Always good to see you. Yeah, you too, Jim. Thanks so much. The stock's rarely down, guys. I mean, it's just—it's just rarely down. Take a look at the chart of this thing. A line. Yeah, money's back at break.
4: Coming up next.
1: Let's make money together. What do we got?
4: Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of the Lightning Round.
1: and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep going. Come to the lightning round. I'm going to start with Rachel in New York. Rachel.
5: Hi, Tim, How
2: are you?
1: I am good. How about you?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you. So
5: I'm just curious to know uh, what your thoughts are about investing in. Um, northern genesis acquisition uh, lion
1: electric I, look i am an ev guy but you got to pick it which ev you want okay i happen to be a very partial right now to tesla i still think you go back to the original let's go to tate new york tate booyah jim booyah tate i'm a new viewer 24 years old and i love your show ah oh, thank you buddy thank you very much
2: my question is about JetBlue. What do you think about it? No,
1: you don't want to buy JetBlue. You can buy it in Southwest Air, Symbol LUV, Gary Kelly, best operator. I need to go to Andrew in Virginia. Andrew. Hey, what's up, Jim? Big booyah to you. Ah, oh, chill, so, sis. Uh, thank you. What's going on? So uh, a few years back, about five years back, uh, 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 W was looked at as a, uh, a risky stock. What's your feelings on it now? It's a risky stock. Uh, I I you know I have a life insurance policy with him. That's about as close as I want to get to him. Let's go to Mark in Kentucky. Mark. Yes. Mark, you're in Kentucky. You must be lucky. What do you got for me? Uh, I'd like to ask you about BTRN. Uh, Nothing you to see. What? Keep moving on. Keep moving on. That's the merger with Mylan and Upjohn. You know, it's like a. No, that's a cats and dog stock. And I'd rather see you in Petco. Um, let's go to Jack in Pennsylvania. Jack. Kramer, how are you, sir? Not bad. Thank you for asking. How about you, Jack? Very good. Kramer, since you digested GE's earnings reports, are you still bullish on the stock? Going Bingo, forward? absolutely. Ah! Look, I mean, when, once people start flying again, which they're starting to do, this is going to be one. I, you know, I like Honeywell very much. I think they're both great stocks. Now I'm going to Dan in Kentucky. Dan! Hey, Jim. It's
4: Dan. Hey, Dan. Um, I
1: was. I had um, gotten into JCOM late last year, September. Like when that short seller, it, when that short seller said all those bad things about it, would give me one of the great buying opportunities of a lifetime.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's been on, on a decent ride since um, until they announced the separation to mm-hmm. you know Consensus
1: and J Two. Right. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on. Uh, you own him. Uh, You own the one that Vivek Shaw is staying with. He's one of the greatest business people I have ever met. Honest as a day is long and terrific. That's what I want. I need to go to Alex in Ohio, please. Alex. Booyah. Oh, What's up, Jimmy Chill? Ah, uh, Jimmy Chill's licking his wounds on his Bristol Myers, frankly. But I know that's away from the top, but I, I'm so mad at myself. Go ahead. What's up? First time, long time student at Ohio State. Go fuck. Excellent.
2: Thanks for helping us, investors, and shout-out to my dad for getting me into stock.
1: Uh, we had a great time there. What's going on? Yeah, I'm calling about a Cleveland-based company that recently completed a $1 billion acquisition of Clarion. It's a growing leader in the specialty plastic industry. What is your opinion on Avian Corporation? Pick your a- I have not looked at that specific plastic company. I do like all the plastic companies. I, I like Dallas, my favorite. And that the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The
4: Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, happy Stock Draft Day. Kramer's got a powerful list of longtime favorites.
1: Find out which stock's going number one on his roster this year. Next. Every year, CNBC does this fabulous Stock Draft contest. We have notables from all walks of fame vying to pick two stocks that will be up the most by the time of the Super Bowl. You got an incredible list to choose from, all sorts of great growth stocks, classic speculative names, commodities like gold or oil. Hey, you even got meme stocks, GameStop, and the uh, ETF that represents the best picks of last year's best money manager, Kathy Wood. Emphasis on last year. But I think a contest like this requires you to pick a temporarily down on its luck stock that could make a comeback by the time the Super Bowl rolls around. Which is why I'm going with Ford Motor. Last night, Ford reported one of the greatest quarters I've ever seen from them. It may wistful for the days 10 years ago when I visited the fabled River Rouge plant to meet with then-CEO Al Malali. Couldn't have been more excited about the company's prospects. I predicted that one day, maybe as recently as the next year, Ford could earn as much as $5 per share. And with the stock at 18 at that moment, it meant it was selling for less than four times. Early. How do you lose? Well, easily. I was dead wrong. I mean, really wrong. In fact, the stock, which I've been recommending since it was at four bucks back then, didn't trade much higher than our field trip as a variety of troubles put. Well, just kibosh that forecast. Five dollars seems like a pipe dream. Now here we are again, stock at eleven bucks and change. This time, still nowhere near where it peaked a decade ago. One of the few stocks in the S&P 500 that's that's not within spitting distance of its 10-year top. So why pick Ford as the stock to own between now and the end of January? Simple. Unlike 10 years ago, these days, people aren't looking for anything from Ford. Not after yesterday, even though the company delivered a great quarter, it was forecast, the forecast was just simply awful. Management said they're missing out on massive amounts of money thanks to the semiconductor shortage, like I talked about at the top of the show. We're talking about maybe $2.5 billion in lost operating profit? I mean, the earnings estimates have come down to the $1 per share for the full year, a sign that the expectations have been crushed. If you couldn't tell already from the stock's 9% down. But as stock pickers, we love low expectations. When the expectations were highest, both yesterday and then 10 years ago, Ford got pulverized. Now they're incredibly low, and that makes it easy for management to surprise to the upside. Remember, de-risks. Somehow I'm asking you to asterisk the chip shortage. There's just so much to like here. First, I think Ford's product lines are pretty much sold through, a remarkable circumstance, at least if they could make them. Second, the company no longer is trying to make cars and trucks all over the world, including in places where they lose money, like vast swaths of Latin America. For ages, has had an irrational commitment to being everywhere, even at the cost of profitability. So stupid. I've gotten used to hearing about how the U.S. business is great, only to see those profits wiped out by losses in historically terrible markets that they knew would lose the money. And they didn't seem to care. Third, when it comes to the chip shortage CEO, Jim Farley says he believes the second quarter will be trough as bad as it gets. So two more months and then things could start improving. That means you're getting a chance to buy the stock of Ford at what might turn out to be the low go- going forward till the Super Bowl. It's certainly been de-risked because so many analysts feel like they've been sandbagged. The stock is suddenly and viciously out of favor. And that's why I'm making it my stock draft pick. Remember, this is a contest that will span several quarters before we reach a conclusion. If Farley's right that the semiconductor shortage will ease up in the second half of the year, then Ford should win the contest hands down. And I wouldn't be surprised if the company can actually earn five bucks a share. Okay, maybe next year or the year after. But so many have given up on it in its entirety. I like to say that it's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow.